gospel as always. Church, it is good to be with you guys this morning. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm the downtown AM campus pastor, one of our preaching pastors here at the Austin Stone. I'm so glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Acts chapter 2, or if you have a device you look at the Bible on, Acts chapter 2. If you don't have the scriptures, don't worry. It'll be on the screen behind me throughout the sermon. Acts chapter 2, and we'll get there in a little bit. But if, you, you've, if you've been a part of the Austin Stone for any period of time, hopefully you've heard us use the term missional community. If you've been a part of it any period of time, you've heard us use the term missional community. This is a term that we use to describe what life for us as a church looks like outside of Sunday services. See, the church is much more than an event you attend. It's much more than an event you attend. It's a people you're a part of. And so as a people, we gather together on Sundays to hear the word of God taught, to sing songs of joy and confession and praise to our God. Sundays are so important for us. They're vital. They're necessary to come together and to be ministered to by God so greatly. They're great. But our life as a people just begins here. This is only the beginning for our life as a church. So throughout the week, we live together with a smaller number of believers that we call missional community. We call them that because, simply put, they're communities on mission. And starting next week, we'll be, getting, we'll be starting our vision series. And during our vision series, you're going to hear a lot about missional communities. And you're going to hear a lot about them because we're passionate about you being in a missional community. And we're not passionate about it because the Austin Stone has some really cool new way to do church. We're not passionate about it because we, we went on a really cool creative retreat and had this new cool idea called missional communities that we're going to replace in a couple of years with something else. No, we're passionate about it because missional community is an essential, hear that word, essential part of the church following Jesus together. See, hundreds of years from now, when no one remembers us or the Austin Stone, we're long and forgotten. Faithful followers of Jesus will still be living in communities on mission in some form and some fashion. See, missional communities is about faithfulness to Jesus, not to the Austin Stone, not to a local church, not to a philosophy, not to an idea, but to Jesus. So the next six weeks, we'll be talking a lot about them, be preaching about them, and hopefully you'll begin to practice this in your life and begin to have the conversation of what does it look like to live this out day in and day out. So in preparation for the vision series, today I want to answer the question, why? Why missional communities? Why devote six weeks to missional community? What's so important about it? What's so important about missional community is that missional community is a sign that the gospel has been believed. Missional community is a sign that someone or some people have believed the gospel. That when people believe the gospel for the first time, and as you continue to believe it over time, eventually, eventually a missional community will appear. It is the direct fruit of people who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ. And if your belief in the gospel does, hasn't produced you living in a missional community, you're missing out. If your belief in the gospel hasn't produced in you living this out, something's off with your understanding of the gospel. Something's off with your faith in the gospel. See, your, actual, your relationship with God is actually suffering and you don't even know it. See, you, you, you may think, no, Tyler, I'm fine, I'm content, I'm spiritually healthy. But if you're not living in a missional community, in a community on mission, then you're not as spiritually healthy as you might think. See, as, as Austinites, we care about health. Forbes, just, you know, they released their 2013 poll of the healthiest cities in America, and we were 16th. 
So we care a lot about health and we care a lot about food. We care a ton about food. We want to know who grew it and what's in it and how it affects us. And I love this about our city. I love that we care about this. But I must say for myself personally, I've had to learn a lot about food. I didn't know much coming to Austin. Uh, Even before I got married, well, I knew next to nothing about food. The only thing I knew is that I wanted the cheapest thing that tasted good. That's all I cared about. Cheap things taste good. That was my equation. And so I've been, I'm very, I was very ignorant. I had no idea there was difference in carbs, simple and complex. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. And so over the past couple of years since I've been in Austin, and actually after I got married, my wife has been very kind to teach me many things about food and breaking down my ignorance. Because like anyone who's stuck in ignorance, I developed these crazy theories about how food worked. These crazy theories that seemed completely accurate to me only to find out I could not be further from the truth. And one night about six years ago, uh, I want, my craziest theory was brought to life that I didn't even know existed in my mind. And so uh, Lorna cooked me a meal. It's fantastic as usual. And we'd eaten dessert. We're sitting there after dinner just talking. And I'm telling her how full I am. I'm so full I can't eat another bite. But then I go and I start eating her leftover broccoli. She's thinking, well, just stop eating broccoli, weirdo, if you're so full. And that's when I began to explain to her my theory. I said, well, no, I, I have to eat broccoli because I ate cake. And I need to balance them out. She, she squinted her face. She goes, well, what do you mean to balance them out? I go, well, so I said, well, Lauren, obviously, if I eat cake, i got to eat some broccoli. i eat some ice cream. i eat an apple. They balance each other out. It, it goes to zero. <laughs> she goes, her face was so sweet, and yet said, you stupid, stupid man. And she looked at me, and she goes, okay, Tyler, first, good job. Broccoli is good for you. Well done. But when you eat it, it doesn't take away calories. You're still adding calories. And, and I sat there, and my mind said, that sounds accurate. But my, my heart said, I don't know, because in my heart, I thought good calories plus bad calories equals no calories. That's what I thought. <laughs> so as you can tell, I've come a very long way. I'm like a caveman when it came to food back in the day. I had no idea. I was like, that's good. Eat it. And I had no idea. I've come a long way. And so now, if you tried to explain to me, hey, Tyler, this is how you eat healthy. Good calories plus bad calories equal no calories. I would say that's foolish. That's not healthy eating. It's not healthy living. I know that now, and I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back. I know that's not how you eat in a healthy way. The same is true for missional community. Before it, you may think, oh, this is spiritual health. But actually, when you start living in it and believing it, you begin to see, oh, no, I was so unhealthy and didn't even realize it. I was so unhealthy, and I didn't even realize it. And even if you struggle to live in a healthy way, there's no way anyone could convince you that you could have spiritual health outside of living in a community on mission. And this is what you're going to see in the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts, at the birth of the Christian church, you see a people believe the gospel for the very first time. For the very first time, they believe in Jesus. And here's what happens. A missional community appears. They believe in the gospel, and as they believe it, this community comes together and begins to live a life on mission. See, in Acts 1, what happens, Jesus is resurrected. He teaches his disciples about the kingdom of God and says, hey, wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Just wait. So in Acts 2, they're waiting. The Holy Spirit comes in magnificent power. And what begins to happen, these men from Galilee begin to speak in different languages. They begin to proclaim in different languages that they didn't know about the mighty works of God. And it's so loud and so fantastic, people outside are going, what's going on in there? Why am I hearing my language from this man from Galilee who doesn't speak my language? I want to know what's going on. So they come to Peter and say, Peter, what's happening? Why are you guys doing this? And then Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stands up and preaches the very first sermon. 
Look at Acts 2, verse 22. This is what God's word says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter stands up and he proclaims what God has been doing through Jesus. He proclaims the gospel. See, all these people, they had heard about Jesus. He'd just been crucified 50 days earlier. They'd heard about him. They'd heard about this rabbi from a small town who was crucified and now his body was missing. So Peter stands up and says, this Jesus was from God. It was obvious. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He, the wind and the waves obeyed his voice. It was obvious. And when he was crucified, his crucifixion was not a sign that God had left him. Not a sign that God had forsaken him, but was the plan all along. See, his death may be senseless to you, but it's not. See, through his death, God was accomplishing the most amazing thing in history, the forgiveness of sins. See, on the cross, all the sins and all the punishment for all of God's people was being placed onto Jesus. And so God was so pleased with his sacrifice that he conquered death. That our most terrifying reality, the thing that we're scared of most, death, has now been defeated by him. And he reigns over everything and everyone and everyone in this room and who hears my voice will be held accountable to him one day. He preaches the gospel. That's what it is. So how do they respond? They hear the gospel preached. How do they respond? Look at verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to, said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they hear the gospel, and it cuts them to the core. They're pierced by the inescapable truth that they rejected God's Messiah. They can't just move on. They can't just go to lunch. They have to focus on what this man just said. So they ask Peter and the apostles, what do we do? What do we do? We've already rejected him. What could be done? Peter tells them to repent. Which all that means is a genuine confession to God that he's right and you're wrong. You're right about everything, I'm wrong about everything, and then receiving Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you get the Holy Spirit. See, in in that day, they were saved. In that day, their punishment for their sin went to Jesus and his righteousness and his rewards went to them. That day, 3,000 people were freed from sin into the love of God. I would assume most of us in this room have had a similar experience. Similar experience. It may not have been after a sermon. It may not have been in a particular moment. But there was somewhere along the way where this gospel gripped you. Where this gospel arrested your conscience. And you couldn't just move on. You had to come to terms with this God, with this Jesus. And you repented of your sin and you trusted him for the very first time. Most of us have had that experience. 
And some of you, maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you're here checking this thing out and you've never had that moment where you were gripped by the gospel. I hope it happens today. Hope today you begin to taste and experience how sweet it is to have the shame and the guilt that you feel wiped away. If it doesn't happen today, I hope it happens sometime very soon. I remember for me when it happened, I was 18 and I had been at a great church and I'd heard great sermons, I'd heard great testimonies, but nothing gripped me. Nothing made me really think about it. I just moved on about my day and my life. But there was one weekend when I was 18, something happened. God just woke me up and I just couldn't get away from him. I I couldn't. I I had to know this God that I was hearing about. Something about him intrigued me. I had to know. I remember saying out loud to some friends of mine at the retreat, I have to know him for myself. I'm not going to know him through church or through my friends or through my parents. I'm going to know this God for myself because the joy that I experienced just in those few moments was unparalleled. I had never known forgiveness like that, love like that, encouragement like that. I never had since that moment. See, that moment happens. You believe the gospel. Then what? That, that you have that moment. Then what happens in your life? You just, okay, I had this moment. I, I'm saved. But now what? Does anything change? Unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, not much. Not much happens after that. Maybe you think a little differently. Maybe you attend church a little bit more. Maybe you read your Bible a little bit more. Maybe you feel guilty a little bit more. But not much changes. Is that what's supposed to happen? It's supposed to be this thing that you have this cognitive agreement with a set of facts and that's it? What you're going to see in the book of Acts is that these people believe the gospel. And that faith in it begins to produce a missional community. Look at verse 42. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, repentance of sin and faith in the gospel produces a brand new community. These people didn't know each other before. They weren't friends before. But all of a sudden, they believe the same gospel, follow the same Jesus, and they're brought together. They begin to overlap their lives in very significant ways. They begin to eat meals together all the time. Twice in five verses, we're told they broke bread together. They were having people into their homes who they didn't know that well, but they they knew they were family in Christ. They were being vulnerable about their needs, and they were being generous with what they had. I mean, you look at this community, and it's no wonder that everyone's in awe of what is happening. They just met each other, yet they're experiencing this grace and this joy and this interaction and relationship that's amazing. See, there are a lot of terms that you could use to describe this first community of the church. There's a lot of terms you could use to describe this, but I think the one that describes it best is in verse 42. They were devoted. They were a devoted community. See, they weren't just checking things out. They weren't just like, well, let me casually see what's going on in this place, and if it doesn't meet my needs, I'm out. That wasn't their mindset. They weren't coming in as consumers looking to get something out of it. They were coming in as participants looking to give something. See, they were devoted to one another, and that's a rare thing, isn't it? It's a rare thing in our culture for someone to be devoted to a group of people. That's a rare thing. See, what's more normal for us, what's becoming more normal for us is being individuals, 
being, feeling isolated, and for a lot of us, feeling lonely. I mean, study after study right now is showing that people in our culture feel more and more isolated, more and more lonely. Maybe that's you. Maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you have tons of friends, so to speak, but no one really actually knows you. I mean, in an age of constant connection, so to speak, everyone feels less connected to other people. So you read this text, you think, that's impossible. That doesn't happen anymore. That, that was for them, not for us. That, that can never happen. It feels a world away. But it's important to remember that this was not a perfect community. It was only a devoted one. Listen to me. It wasn't a perfect community. They were just devoted to one another. They still had plenty of conflict and unmet expectations and hurt feelings. I mean, in chapter 5, this same community, there's a married couple who lies about the money they give to the church and God kills them. They got some issues. Okay? Act act 6, there are a group of widows a part of the church. In a certain uh, section of the widows, they don't get fed. They don't eat because the people distributing the food didn't like that they were culturally and a little ethnically different than them. They got some issues. They're not perfect. They're just devoted. They're just devoted. See, that's ideal community in this life. See, we're looking for this perfect community with no problems and no issues and no weaknesses and no sins. That doesn't exist here. See, what that, that, that longing you have, honestly, is a longing for heaven. That'll be true one day in heaven, not here. Not here. No, the ideal community is not perfect. You'll still get hurt. It'll still be difficult. But the ideal community is where we're devoted to one another. That overcomes those pains, overcomes the discomfort that come with a missional community. So you have this amazing community. But what's even more incredible than all that's going on, every single day, people are coming to Christ. Every day, somebody new is saying, I want to follow Jesus with you guys. Look at verse 47. Verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In the midst of all the transition, all the newness that's happening in their lives, I mean, this community, these relationships, these new rhythms and patterns and routines, they're all brand new. They're probably still adjusting to what life is like in this new community of faith. And yet... And yet, from the very beginning, they're still talking to people about Jesus. From the very beginning, they still are a community on mission. See, the community was not just for their benefit, but for the sake of people outside of it. Hear me, church. The community is not for the benefit of us, but for those outside of the community. See, what happens is when you begin to talk about this gospel, the community you are a part of becomes a picture of that gospel a physical representation of that gospel. I mean, think about it. You're going to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. Maybe in this room you don't believe in Jesus. And you hear about this God who's in heaven who you can't see. This Jesus who's ascended who you can't see. This spirit who's among us who's invisible. Well, when did it happen? What happened 2,000 years ago on the cross? Well, I wasn't there. So you hear all these amazing, true, beautiful things that God has done, but yet it's hard to understand. Especially in our culture where we want to see everything to believe. And so you share the gospel and it feels weird. It feels ethereal and wispy and and theological but not real. But if you have a community, you can say, look at what it produces. This gospel we've believed, it produces this community of people. We're broken, we're messed up, we have issues, but yet we still stay devoted to each other. 
We love one another. We, have, we work through conflict together and process through how we've hurt one another. See, the, the community gives weight to the gospel we talk about. We don't, we're not quiet about the gospel, but now we have weight, this physical picture of the gospel in our community. But here's the thing about us and our longing for a community. Most of us, if you were able to get Acts 2, if you could actually have that, most of us, if not all of us, would not use that for the benefit of other people. We'd use it for us. So you, you've had this before. You've had great communities where what do you and I do? We guard it. I don't really like new people being a part of it. They'll mess up the rhythm and the flow and they'll make it uncomfortable for people. I don't like that. We have great relationships. Why mess it up with new people? That's how we feel. It's how we operate. I was the same way. My senior year of college, I had a community like this. Five guys that were my best friends, and we had trusted the gospel, wanted to follow Jesus together and be very serious about it. So we, each week we read the scriptures and we prayed. We shared groceries and money and served one another. We confessed sin and weaknesses and encouraged one another. I mean, we had the community that all of us long for or look back to with nostalgia. We had that. We had that. But like everyone else, we didn't use it for the sake of other people. We use it to just honor ourselves. And what happens, without mission, community becomes toxic. Without mission, it becomes stagnant. See, without mission, it suffers. See, for our community, we didn't have mission. So what happened, community became an opportunity for us to feed our egos and hide arrogance. See, it's easy to think you're loving when everyone you're loving is just like you. When everyone you're loving thinks the way you think, sees the world the way you think, they make the money you make, it's easy to love people like that. Easy to think you're loving. Easy to, to confuse that for just loving self. And so I think for us, these guys, when we left that community, we began to realize how little we loved other people, how we had weeded out people who didn't meet our standards. See, without mission, our community began to nitpick one another. See, all the gifts and all the passion and all the brain space that God had given to us was for the sake of people outside of it. But we didn't do that. But that energy and those gifts and that time didn't go anywhere. Now we just redirected it towards one another. Now we began to nitpick every single weakness and flaw in one another. We began to say, hey, man, I just want to call you out on this one thing every day. Every day. Why? Because we were made for these things, but yet we're not using it in the right way, so it becomes distorted and hurtful. See, without mission, our community did not see the power of God in ways we wanted. We talked about it, we longed for it, but when it really came down to it, we didn't get to see it. We didn't get to see people's lives change, and even for ourselves, most of the guys in this group, we talked a lot of theology and prayed a lot, but if you looked at our lives, same sins. Same issues, not a lot of growth. Why? Because the Christian community was designed for mission. It was designed to welcome those people who are far from God. It was designed to be a welcoming place. And so that's why it says there were people being added to their number day by day. Their mission was people. It was people. Now I say that and you're like, well, obviously it was people. What else would it be? But I say that because of how easily you and I, how easily you and I sidestep individuals to champion a cause or an initiative or a project. How often we'll be about reaching a city or restoring a neighborhood or cleaning up a park or reaching this apartment building. And those are good desires, but those things don't need saving. They don't need saving. The people in them need saving. 
The people in those entities need you to show up and serve them and share the gospel with them. See, the mission is people, not projects. Projects are great. They're great. They're, they're a great opportunity to get to know people, to serve people, and share the gospel with people. Our mission are those people far from God, just like we were. And the reason I'm emphasizing this so much is because projects don't feel shame. People do. Initiatives don't have guilt. People do. Buildings have not rebelled against God. People have. And parks, no matter how beautiful they may be, cannot sing songs to God or experience the refreshing presence of repentance. People can. Having new people in your home and around your dinner table and at your parties, that's what the Christian community is about. Opening up our lives. There are hundreds of thousands of people in this city who will never come to this Sunday service. They do not care about what we're doing today. But they'll care about your life and your story and your community. They'll want to hear how Jesus has changed you. They may not want to come to Sunday service, but they may want to eat dinner at your house with your friends. They may not want to hear a sermon, but they may want to read the Bible with you. See, people with names and stories, people with hurts and aspirations, people that God will save through your lips and your community, he'll use that to bring people into your number, to be part of this with us. So you see this in Acts, and it's incredible. This, this community of people living on mission together, it's incredible. How did it start? They believed the gospel. They just believed the gospel, and this kind of came into being. They weren't planning for it. It wasn't a strategy they had. They just believed, and these things began to take place. It took this group of unconnected, very different people and brought them together. We need to hear this so badly as a church. See, God is doing so many amazing things in our church. All of us have our stories of maybe what God's doing in our lives through this church. And there's a large portion of us who are actually trying to live this out. But there's a larger portion of us that are part of this body, that come to these services, that are stuck between verse 41 and verse 42. We've believed the gospel, but not enough to actually live a life on mission. Look at verse 41 again. Verse 41. So verse, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Then verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. There's so many of us who've heard the gospel even believed it, even repented of some sin, even been baptized in faith that he's forgiven you. But something's keeping you from verse 42. The faith, your faith in the gospel still hasn't produced actual the next step. Maybe you have too many fears, maybe your apathy is too pervasive, but something is hindering you. I'm not here to belittle you or demean you, I'm here to encourage you. We want to encourage you to take that step into verse 42. This, this season of our church, I am begging God that he would begin to give us faith in the gospel in such a way that missional communities would, would begin to be produced. I mean, we, in the next couple of weeks, we're launching almost 200 brand new missional communities for you guys to be a part of. Over the coming weeks, we have, we have simplified the ways to get connected or to start a group. I mean, we're gonna, we've written a curriculum. We have trainings coming up to help you process. How do you actually do this? How do you actually live this out? See, we want to be a church faithful to Jesus. That's, what, Jesus, that's why we're doing this. 
We want you to worship him with us. Even though this is a large church, we get that. We care about every individual worshiping with us on mission. That's what we want. That's what this season is all about. But for this to happen, for this to happen, you and I need a devotion we don't currently possess. See, Acts 2 wasn't perfect, but they were devoted. They weren't perfect, but they were devoted to one another. And we will need a devotion that, that, over, that overcomes the pains and frustrations people cause us in missional community. We need a devotion that gives us patience while we're sitting in traffic going to someone's house that we told them we'd be there, hating every second of it. We need devotion that's flexible enough to ch- even change our schedules, change our routines to be faithful to Jesus. We need a devotion that none of us currently have. So how do you get it? How how do you actually have this devotion and see this happen? How do you stir yourself in such a way that you would actually want to do this? You think about Jesus' devotion to you. See, his devotion to us is the antidote to our flakiness and our weariness with, with missional community. You've tried before. It's been too hard. You don't really want to yet. You can't make yourself want to do these things. You have to think about how Jesus did these things for you. You have to think about that when you were distant, you wanted nothing to do with Jesus, you were disdainful towards him, you didn't return his calls, so to speak. He still prays for you. Even now, if you're in Christ, he prays for you when you fail. That when you were weak, and when you're weak, and you continually, you know how to obey Jesus, but you say no again and again and again, he's patient with us, not angry. That when you sin and you have all that shame, all that shame and you can't forgive yourself, Jesus still forgives you. You have to think about his gospel and his devotion to you and that begins to stir devotion to other people. That begins to tear off the bitterness that you feel and say, but look at how much Jesus has forgiven me and let go. Look at that. That gives me devotion to this person to let this hurt go. To not not put it over their head and make them earn my forgiveness. Jesus didn't do that to me. He didn't do that to me. He still doesn't do it to me. Praise God for that. His devotion begins to stir devotion in us. See, now now we're reminded, okay, I don't have to worry about what this commissional community is going to look like in six months. Our job is to be faithful today. Be faithful today. We're reminded he'll take care of us. He always has. He always has and he always will. See, it's through ongoing repentance and faith in the gospel that we're refreshed. We're refreshed to actually stay committed to a life on mission with the community. Stay committed to these people who are weak. Stay committed to the city that sometimes rejects us. Acts 3.19 describes repentance this way. It says, repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. All of us need to do some repenting today. All of us, myself included, we need to repent of our crazy notions that we can trust the gospel and not live in a missional community. Of our crazy notions that we can be spiritually healthy and not live in a community on mission. That is as crazy as thinking that good calories plus bad calories equal no calories. They're in the same lane. You cannot read the scriptures and say, oh, when people believe the gospel, nothing happens. It's not true. 
That's not true. What's amazing about the gospel is that it produces power, and when we disbelieve it, there's still more grace for us. So some of you are in a missional community right now, and today you need to renew your devotion to those, to those people. You need to repent of the ways you, begun, you become bitter, of the ways you're starting to check out, and you need to receive forgiveness for that today. And you need to confess the hurts and the pains that you feel from those people. You need to renew your devotion to that missional community. And the rest of us, we need to actually be devoted to a people. Devoted to a missional community. To repent and receive forgiveness for all the ways we've stayed in verse 41 and tried to justify verse 41 without moving into verse 42. Without moving into the lives of people where it's messy and it's difficult, but we see the gospel play out in the most powerful of ways. See, all of us in this season need to take one step. Just one step, knowing that where Jesus is leading us, it may be scary, it may be hard. There's only more joy this way. That's all he has in mind for us. And what's even more amazing is this way, there's a future salvation of brothers and sisters. This way, your neighborhood begins to be changed. Your neighbors start to say, man, what's, how do you parent your kids that way? I mean, yeah, I know you yell at them, you're a crazy person sometimes, but how, how do you... Apologize like that to him. Hey, how, how do you treat your wife that way? How do you work that way for that kind of boss? And I saw you blow up the other day, and I saw you lose your mind, and I saw you ask for forgiveness. How, how do you have that kind of humility? We get to be a people who say, it is nothing about us. It's nothing about us. That what you're seeing and what you're intrigued with is this Jesus. You get to tell them the gospel, and God just may save them. May God do all of this and more for the sake of his name in our city. Let's pray together. Father, your word commands us and teaches us to do some pretty crazy things. Things that feel impossible, things that feel unattainable. And God, we first want to ask you to forgive us for all the times we've rationalized and justified not obeying. God, for all the times I've made excuses for why this season it's okay to put off actually living in a missional community. God, how we've put off and said, no, no, I'll get around to it eventually. God, forgive us for that. God, give us grace for that and give us power to believe you could actually use us. Power to believe the gospel that our first brothers and sisters believed is still powerful enough today to change us. God, they make us a people that we actually have our own stories to tell that when we gather around the throne of God at the feast of the Lamb and we get our turn to share our story of how he's faithful in our generation, God, please give us the grace so we could raise a glass and say, this is how he's faithful to us. I was terrified. Even my obedience was weak, but he used me in my community. He used us to see this one person come to Christ. God, change the way we look at what your gospel can do. God, change us as a church that this city would begin to be affected by your gospel. That we would let go of our apathy and our fears and let you show up in power. God, we want to be that people, but only you can make us that. So God, do with us what you want and what you will. 
but keep us faithful till we go home. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Church, let's stand together.